1: Welcome to this free episode of Dunk Don. To get even more Dunk Don content, you can subscribe to Dunk Don Prime. We'll have six episodes per week, Seth Partnow's exclusive stats and his statistical analysis a few times a week, My Daily Dunks five times per week, Discord access, and more. If you'd like to sign up, you can do so at dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkdon.supportingcast.fm.
2: Well, John, it is that time of year again, actually slightly later than we've been doing this normally. But you mentioned the other day that you thought there would be significant coaching turnover this year. So you can now get your chance to perhaps rank some of these guys for the last time here in our coach
3: rankings. <laughs> yes. Although I should I should emphasize that in several cases where I have these coaches ranked has absolutely nothing to do with their job security.
2: Yes. No, I, I think as I was going through it, I th- I thought that as well, and one of the things that stuck out to me is if you just, uh, I found had a lot of difficulty finding a bottom bottom tier uh, mm-hmm. other than maybe one.
3: <laughs> uh, I feel the then, same. I I feel the same way. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nobody who you look at and you're like, man, this this uh, again, other than one who I think is widely expected to be moved on from. That you're like, man, like this coach. Would get fired and probably would deserve it. Right. Like that's, there, there really are not many guys like that anymore. I, mean, I say this every year that it seems like the coaching profession gets better and better, at least as far as there being, you know, fewer just coaches that you feel like don't know what they're doing at all.
3: Uh, I think that's definitely been a trend. And it, it was, it was honestly, I felt pretty good at one and pretty good at 30. And I had a lot of trouble everywhere between two and 29. And I'm really interested to see what you came up with. And if our lists are even remotely similar at the end of the day, just because I I, I felt like this was a really, diff- really difficult assignment this year, even relative to the last couple times we've done this.
2: So yeah, it is a difficult assignment. However, it's probably worth the going over again and maybe our criteria have changed a little bit but just how you even go about evaluating a coach
3: i think i think you look at a few things um let's let's start at the top choosing the correct players to play in the game uh use of tactics at a big picture level What kind of offense they run, what kind of defense they run. Then use of tactics at a micro level, how they manage their timeouts, fourth quarters, things like that. Challenges, for instance. Uh, Player development. Do guys get better in their system? Uh, Player, for lack of a better word, esprit de corps, right? Like, is this a person who keeps the troops motivated, gets them to – perform at a high level. A lot of times I look at the defensive end as maybe a little more of a tell um, on on somebody's coaching ability. Uh, although, I mean, talent still is a factor there. So you have to weigh that too. Uh, and then track record. Uh, there are some guys who in their first or second season who uh, are off to really good starts, but I could only put them so high because I'm comparing them to guys who have Five, 10, 15 years of, of really solid NBA track record and we've seen too many guys who get off to a good run for a year or two and then some weaknesses come to the fore that make it apparent that they're they're not really a top 15 or whatever coach.
2: And yeah, I think that's a, a real key because what, the way we do this is who would we want coaching a random NBA team? For the next four years, they're signing that standard coaching contract, uh, that four minus one. We're doing the hire for, we don't know what team it's for, but we're just uh, going to bring this guy in. And that's that's the criteria. So they are certainly, I mean, some guys haven't even coached for four years. So it's, it's tough to say, and that's even in one spot. You'd like to even see... There'd be success in multiple stops, uh, potentially, or at least if not in multiple stops with multiple types of teams up and down the talent spectrum, offensive teams, defensive teams, ability to change schemes. So obviously having that track record is going to push you higher, even if there are some guys that you might say are doing a better job this year than some of the more established guys. You know, that's something that we're going to have to wrestle with to some degree. Uh, and I also think, too, it's just it's easier to be a coach in year one. Your message is fresh. You're doing something new. Everyone's buying in. You know, can you maintain that as you get closer to the end of your contract and as the your message may begin to grow a bit repetitive?
3: Absolutely. I mean, I, I, every coach in their first year, there is there's always a certain level of enthusiasm and excitement. I mean, we we went through multiple coaching coaching changes in Memphis, if I could tell you this. Uh, And then it's it's can that message continue to resonate with players game 40, game 80, uh, game 100 as you get into the next season?
2: Yeah, I mean, you'll see even some guys uh, go through it where the first 20 games, everyone loves them. And then by the end of the season, they're uh, everyone's sick of them. The the Nate Bjorkren uh, arc.
3: Uh, Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Some. Yeah. The the arc the arc moves more quickly uh, for some than than for others. Uh, you know, it's like a like a like a day in Iceland in December versus like a regular twelve hour day.
2: So another thing, obviously, you have to look at too. I mean, the point of a coach is to get this team to be more than the sum of its parts, and so that in some ways, if you're going to evaluate that involves an evaluation of the talent that the guy has had and what the results have been compared to that talent. Now that of course is fraught as well, because a lot of these guys are like, they're going to look good or look bad depending on, on who the coach is. Like it's all together. But if there's, if a guy has a track record of coming in and with the same talent doing better than the predecessor and significantly. So that's usually a pretty big data point for me as well. Though, again, there are not that many of those guys. Uh, So, all right. Uh, You said you thought number one was relatively easy. Who you got? Number one, Eric Spolstra. He was my number one as well, but I actually did put one other coach in the tier with him uh, at the top. And I I will preface. Yeah. I
3: actually had him in a tier by himself when I looked at longevity. Yes, won a championship. Yes, do players buy in? Yes, do, is player development? Yes, uh, tactically, very good. Um, I, I don't. You never. You just never walk away from a game thinking that Eric Spolster left money on the table. Um, so to, to me, he's he's the guy you have to put in the number one spot right now.
2: I, yeah, as I said, I I did have a number one. It's difficult though, because this year there have been the good established coaches. Like they're not really other than maybe one of the like veteran established coaches. Mm-hmm. Their teams are all kind of having shitty years, so it, it makes it a little bit more <laughs> difficult. I mean, I think, and even as Danny and I were going through coach of the year, you know, I think like Mike Brown, for example, is going to be, I think the very clear coach of the year. I usually don't like to default to the, Hey, you coach the surprise team. Good job. uh, But you don't have as much of a track record, but there really aren't many other candidates that i could point to other than maybe one who who will get to uh who has a good track record and their team is is doing well this year um so yeah i mean let's talk a little bit more about spo though and obviously going back to 2008 he's coached superstars he's coached kind of under talented teams most years, you would say that they exceed their talent level. I wouldn't put this year among them necessarily. I wouldn't say 2020 was among them either. Or sorry, 2021 was among them either. But obviously, 20 and 22, he, he did a fantastic job getting them to the number one seed and uh, to yeah a, a game seven with a, uh, a shot in the air to win it uh, and get to the finals. Um So, yeah, I mean, I, I think and he's got a lot of different schemes defensively. They're usually going to play hard every once in a while. I'll kind of question some of the player usage lower in the rotation. Um, But yeah, I mean, when you look at the player development, getting that their second and third best players were 14th picks, like nobody ever thought Bam Adebayo would be at the level that he's at. And they've managed to find some of these guys who have uh, eventually a few of them regressed, but your Caleb Martins, Duncan Robinson. He's not good now, but they developed him well enough that he got a $90 million contract. Max Struess, Gabe Vincent. So it's, it, yeah, I mean, I think when you, I, I want to talk through the guy who I have number two. And also in this tier, I, I may end up being convinced to move Spolstra in, into his own group. Um, okay. Anything else you wanted to say on him? Uh,
3: Might be th- the best even year coach of all time
2: he did win an nba championship and uh he in did win a championship but... in an odd year
3: but but by and large his, yeah. his best his best year is in the even years
2: the other thing i like about him too is that he's evolved that's something that i think is important big time in terms of yeah. his philosophy in terms of minutes you know this i mean he comes out of that pat riley jeff van gundy you know just like I mean, I guess I don't think he ever worked directly with Ben Gunney, but, you know, just that, like, real hard-ass, med- you know, yeah.
3: Medieval mindset of that coaching tree, and he's kind of moved past that, definitely. Yeah. In, in terms of if you look at their shot chart, for instance, if you look at just just the kind of the, the way they play the game, uh, even though their two best players aren't three-point shooters, they still shoot a ton of threes.
2: So I, I guess my next question is, how does a guy who has 4 championships in 8 years and 6 finals appearances in 8 years not merit being in the top tier? What what is the I, argument against Steve Kerr? Uh the arg- the
3: biggest argument against Steve Kerr is that he's what happens when he doesn't have Steph Curry. Right? They they've they've never they've never been able to be good without without Curry.
2: I, I will push back on that a little bit. I think they actually are over 500 without stuff this year. Okay. Uh, and they, down the end of last year, when Steph was out, they won enough to still get the three seed, which ended up actually being pretty critical, I think for them. Um, and then even in, in the 2016 playoffs, as well, they took care of Houston and you know, managed to go up two one on Portland without him. So I think when they've had Clay Thompson, now I think when Steph Curry is off the floor, when everyone is healthy, then you know it's definitely been more of a concern. I think, and I, you know that is a, a big thing. Like, okay, what happens when he doesn't have this system to play? But when they've had Clay Thompson and Draymond Green without Steph Curry, I think they've still played overall pretty well. Like in in games without Steph Curry, it's more just like, well, hey, they're, you know, negative 10 with Steph off the floor. But, you know, then Draymond and Steph play together a lot, too. So that's I think there is. A lot of truth to that concern. And we haven't seen him, like, you know, a full team without Steph Curry. And obviously, you know, the shitty D'Angelo Russell team, that's, Mm -hmm. he almost kind of gets a pass for that, I guess. Uh, But Spo, you know, Spo has, uh, he doesn't have a full season like that on his resume. Um, So, yeah. So I think there's some truth to that criticism, but I think there's all, it's also maybe a little overblown. Also, I, I, my concern more is just not that it's been so bad without Steph, but it's just if he had to play with different talent where he had to develop a whole different system, what would that look like on a team with different style of superstars as opposed to having Draymond Green and Steph Curry who can play this like beautiful game style?
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think people do wonder that. Like, what is what does this system look like without with without Steph as the uh, fulcrum? Uh, is it is it? Is 2016 too far in the past to continue to punish him for playing Anderson Vergeau in the finals?
2: I was actually, I was just floating this around in the media room yesterday as I was trying to work through my rankings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think, yes, that was not great. Uh, they were exceedingly thin by that point, for sure. But yeah, play Vergeau, Azili, I mean. They Andrew Boga was out like they needed to get maybe some minutes from those guys. But it was it was definitely ugly. Um, but I think other than at the end of that series, every other series that he's been. I mean, that's it's pretty amazing that Steve Kerr has only lost two playoff series in his coaching career. And one of them, it, they were just so injured by the end that they had no chance. And they put up a really good fight, I thought, in that series, the Toronto series anyway, like mm-hmm. like he I think his track record is I, I probably would rank him as the number one playoff coach. Interesting. Is that fair? I'm trying to think who else who else is
3: on this. Uh some a couple of the other guys that I might go with there haven't haven't really had like the deep playoff rounds where you'd uh yeah, maybe. Maybe.
2: Huh. Uh, I mean, they, he's only had one disappointing playoff series in his whole career, and even that one, they would have won if Draymond Green didn't hit LeBron in the nuts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, he probably could have tried, could have found something a little later in that, but uh, like he 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 always seems to find the right buttons by the end of the series, and the same thing with like their road record uh, in the playoffs. So I I I don't think like Spo would probably be my number two there. Nick nurse, you know, would have been someone that I really liked, but I think the last year and a half has not been kind to him at all. I agree with uh, that. And I thought he did not coach a good series in that Philly series last year. And there's yeah. really no one else with the, with the, I mean, maybe Ty Lue is probably the other guy that people would point to, but he goes down to Oh two in like every series <laughs> and then he adjusts. Yeah.
3: Yeah. There, yeah. uh, I would say Rick Carlisle would be somebody to think about.
2: Yes. Yeah, Rick Carlisle would, would be pretty good. Yeah, he hasn't had a disappointing playoff series, though he hasn't had many playoff series, period. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I think he's – but but still, you know, his, his sample size is much lower than Curtis. It's uh, – yeah. Yeah.
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime, or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
3: Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley. With premium quality leather
0: sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last no matter how many spills scuffs or pet related mishaps come its way the leather collection at ashley is made
3: with the durability you need for the whole family shop the new leather collection at ashley and find chairs starting at 499.99 and sofas at 599.99 ashley for the love of home uh
2: steve and Kerr, spo, spo- would, yeah yeah go ahead sorry
3: i would rank number one on emotional intelligence um just in terms of re- relating to players and kind of keeping everyone on a on an even keel through through the season and kind of understanding the highs and lows of the season and when to when to push buttons and when to pull back uh, so I, I I think he operates at a really high level with with that stuff. Uh, and I think that's helped magnify the ta- Like, obviously, he's had incredible talent, right? So, how do how do you adjust for that? But I, I also think in in most of those years, he's gotten what he could out of that talent, right? Like, like la- last year, yeah. especially. I mean, la- last year I thought was a real feather in his cap because he he didn't have Durant anymore, and it was they weren't they weren't it wasn't so obvious that they were the best team, right? But they ended up winning the championship.
2: Yeah, and actually winning the championship relatively easily in the end, which I think p- kind of gets lost a little bit when people are like oh that that team was you know that was like a fluke championship or something like they never I mean who pushed them the most? Memphis? Like they Yeah, I mean won it, you would say conference would say finals ja- and finals like easily.
3: Yeah, you I mean you would say if Ja hadn't gotten hurt maybe that series ends up different, but
2: Um, yeah, I guess. And I, I agree with you. I think Kerr just the buttons that he was able to push to get enough out of that veteran team to get them to defend, you know, you mentioned the emotional thing is he, you might saw a a critic might say, well, Hey, there's a lot of drama around this team. And so is Steve Kerr culpable for not preventing that drama or is, does he deserve credit for successfully navigating it? I probably tend toward the latter interpretation.
3: I would tend toward the latter, uh, especially given uh, some of the personalities involved. I mean, obviously, when you have, when you have Steph, that helps so much, right? When your when you're best player is like that, right? Uh, yeah. But he's also had to navigate other things, right? Like at, having Durant and those guys at the same time was potentially tricky. And we've seen that in other places since then, right? Um and but it it was never it was never a problem that bubbled to the surface at least in Golden State. And obviously he ended up leaving, but I I don't think that was because of anything Steve Kerr did, let's put it that way.
2: Yeah, I mean, KD seemed like kind of annoyed by him at the end, but that's, yeah, I don't think anything necessarily could have saved that situation. And it's hard to imagine that anybody could have gotten more out of Draymond Green or, or Clay Thompson. It, sorry we're spending so long on Kerr here, but I think that this is really kind of a fascinating discussion to me about him and yeah. his legacy. I mean, he, he seems to get a, a lot of respect. Uh, You know, he's going to be the Team USA coach now. So, it, like, but it just, I think there still is this feeling of like, all right, you know, he just kind of lucked into the super team. And I think maybe had the Warriors not gotten Durant, maybe it would be a little bit different for him. And then also the other thing too, is that he missed the, the, you know, the 24 game winning streak in 2016 due to his health issues. And then he was out again at the start of the 16 and 17 playoffs. And like Mike Brown, who apparently is actually a pretty good coach, uh, you know, took them to being undefeated. So maybe there's this feeling of like, well, you know, this, this team would have just run by itself, but you also got to remember where they were before he got there. And I would say the bigger, uh, big demerit for him is the player development, obviously the Wiseman thing, didn't work you know kaminga moody they haven't gotten much out of them but jordan Poole has developed pretty well on his watch uh i mean it's a while ago but dream on green wasn't even a starter before steve kerr got there clay thompson wasn't anybody's idea of an all-star before steve kerr got there and like those guys are now both hall of fame players so like he definitely helped develop those guys kevon looney developed pretty well under him so i i think and they weren't able to develop some of these guys you know in like the 1920 season he was able to use D'Angelo Russell but uh, uh, you know D'Angelo Russell probably uh it shouldn't be the foundation of a good team anyway um.
3: yeah i so i had him in a tier with two other guys who also have won championships um, one of them is We brought up is rick carlisle who does not have great talent this year but i would argue has achieved kind of significantly with it uh with with what he has and has has gotten good results everywhere he's been uh dallas certainly you could you kind of see the handwriting on the wall there before he left and went to indiana uh how, how do you feel about him
2: yeah, certainly having a good year this year. Uh, last year was kind of a lost year for them. Although they, they probably is culpable for them being so bad in close games that they decided to blow it up and obviously they made, they made a good trade. I'm really excited that he is actually proven now to have changed up his style and that they're running, which showed that was a huge criticism of him that they never ran for yes. basically the last 10 years. And they didn't run mm-hmm. last year either, but they didn't have Tyrese Halliburton. And now that they have him and they have TJ McConnell, like they, they actually like that's been a huge part of their offense and their success this year. And yeah, I mean, Danny and I were talking about it. Like Tyrese Halliburton has developed really well under him. They got Miles Turner and then like Buddy Healed is probably like an average starting shooting guard. And then they have no other good players on the team. <laughs> and they are <laughs> they play 500 ball uh, when Hal Burton is available. So that's that's pretty good. I still am concerned, though, and we talked about this last year, that you have this generational player and you had to skip to another job because you were worried you would get fired because you didn't get along with them. <laughs> like that's why i have him lower because i okay. just i'm like I, I agree as a playoff coach up there but just from the emotional side i think he's uh, has to be further down um, you know, they he doesn't have an unbelievable, like, player development record or anything like that either. And just a, generally a prickly personality. And I think it just mm-hmm. is he someone that your players are going to, like, look forward to going to work for every day? I think that now that doesn't preclude success, but that's also a good reason not to have you in the absolute top group.
3: Okay, okay.
2: So I actually that's had so- Carlisle. In a tier from 9 to 11.
3: Okay.
2: Oh, actually, here, sorry. I, I got distracted by the uh, crazy thunder that we're having right now. So where did you end up with on then? You still have him lower. I didn't I didn't convince you there.
3: I think you might have convinced me to move him up to either 2 or 3. Um, yeah. And so the the other guy, the guy I had number 2 on my original list uh, was Mike Bodenholzer, who I think has gotten better in the postseason and has... Some player development track record, uh, and has done some things in Milwaukee. I like. I, th- I think he's just a. I think he's just a good coach. Does some original things. He d- has some weird, freaky things too. Like his thing with the use it or lose it timeout is is like bizarre. Um, and there's there's some other little quirks and whatnot. But I, I think, like defensively, I think he's put in some interesting wrinkles with his guys every year. He has great talent, but I think he's also uh, has th- has thrown in different wrinkles that have, that have mostly worked. Uh, yeah,
2: the, they've started trying to take away three pointers more. This year, after they uh, let Grant Williams shoot 18 three-pointers <laughs> in Game yeah. 7 last year, which, I, again, I mean, he made the point afterwards that, hey, like, we gave up 100 points in this game. Like, that wasn't the reason that we lost. But I might also say that, hey, maybe when you're this limited offensively, your defensive philosophy has to be, let's try to take away everything, because if we give them anything, we're, we're guaranteed to lose. So, Right, uh, but I, right. I mean, I thought he coached a pretty good series last year to get them to Game Seven against the Celtics without Middleton.
3: Where where did he rank for you? Uh, I had him
2: at number three in uh, my tier two with with one other guy, um, and okay. I think. But but again, it's just like they're having a good year this year. They're probably going to be the number one seed with the injury concerns that they've had. That's pretty good. You know, even Giannis is not having like his best year. You know, they've added some personnel recently. Like this playoffs will be very interesting because he's got a lot of bullets in the chamber and figuring out which yeah. ones to fire is could be fraught uh, potentially. But I also think they're probably moving into the being a favorite or the favorite in the East now over the Celtics and I would agree again, with that. you can't yeah. Like he he just falls victim to Everyone will focus on like the playoffs, where again he has gotten better, and forget that oh yeah, this is a five hundred team, and basically with the same talent other than Brook Lopez, they were a sixty win team the next year, <laughs> right? Like yeah, like that's yeah. And, and yeah, he keeps them at that level, but like his ability to get them to be good in the regular season is now like baked into expectations, and people just kind of forget about it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, I've I also like he's play he has played different styles in his career too, right? Like in Atlanta, they cobbled together a pretty good defense with a more aggressive scheme. And it got completely carved up by the Cavs. They probably should have done something different. But, uh, you know, in, in the regular season, he was able to take that team, which just you know, maybe that might be the least talented 60-win team of all time, that 2015 team that he
3: had. <laughs> Why do you hate Jeff Teague?
2: Well, I, or I would say they have, they might have the worst best player of any team that won 60 games. Okay.
3: <laughs> You uh, might be right there.
2: Yeah, although I guess they did have uh five players of the month on their roster. <laughs> you remember that?
3: Yeah, come on. How can you how could you lose when you have five players of the month on your team?
2: <laughs> who yeah, can match I mean, that? For people who don't remember, 8 years ago now they voted all five Hawks starters as player of the month it just yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, player of the month is it, it's really it's just it's such a serious award. It, it <laughs> So, uh, so
3: serious we gave we gave it to Kyle Corver one year yeah um uh so so getting yeah. back to bud I think he's evolved too because yeah he used to really put a lot of emphasis on the regular season and I think he realized the error of his ways. And now really manages the team for the postseason. Uh and yeah.
2: More strategically than maybe from a rest standpoint. He's always kind of done the rest thing, but I think now he he tries out different things in the regular season so that they do have more versatility. Yes. Um, yeah, because he's always rested guys. He's they just <laughs> they just keep winning anyway, which by the way is another feather in his cap, right? Like when they play without Giannis and they have their other guys they usually are like well above 500, which is another like pretty good. I agree in in their cap. Um, Okay. So yeah, Carlisle, do do we need to talk about him anymore? I mean, we do have a pretty big disconnect there with me having him down in the 10 range. And and you had him
3: I, you might you third, might have fourth? convinced me that I had that I had him one tier too high. I I might have to put drop him into like my five to eight range. But I'm I'm interested to see who you who your other coach is in this in this upper tier.
2: Yeah, I think it it just has to be Tai Lu. Um... Wow, and I mean th- there are not very many championship coaches out there, and I I do like he's I would say he is probably respected more by other people in the industry than me personally. Like, but I also am not in there, right? Like, the, there are other people who have more insider information and really value him highly. Now, you know, it's kind of that ex-player demographic. Like, there are certain people who are going to gravitate to that guy. Uh, and maybe not to a Mike Budenholzer type of, of guy like Lou. Just uh, he's going to get more credit among certain people just because of who he is and and ha- the contrast between him and certain other coaches. Uh, but I think uh, he's he's someone who is I think he would have to probably be right up there with. Steve Kerr as far as like the best emotional leader. I had Monty Williams there and then uh, <laughs> that house of cards kind of came down apparently a little bit <laughs> yeah, last year. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I guess, uh, but if you're uh, is it just that they, they haven't been that great this year? Like you seemed a little skeptical of having him that high. I think most people who, who are doing those rank this rankings would have him in top five and i think a lot of people actually rank him number one which i think is uh, yeah but,
3: so yeah. i i think i did have him in the top five last year so i may be maybe overreacting this time around to the season they're having and the just this feeling that they that they don't really run anything <laughs> i guess um but they, i don't know maybe i maybe i'm overreacting to that i, I do think he, he has tremendous people skills uh to, going back to when he was a player in atlanta uh, and tactically we've seen him wrong foot people in the playoffs now as you point out he usually waits till he's down 0-2 before he does anything but he he has been able to to play these cards that have really thrown people off most notably in that Utah series a couple years ago uh when they didn't have Kawhi uh
2: yeah again i'm not going to i'm not going to say that like Some of these, that was like some genius move. Like I was calling for him to do it earlier than he did. Right. I I mean, like these adjustments that he goes to, it's not stuff where it's like, you know, Rick Carlisle go into like a one, two, two zone with zingus and Boban on the baseline against the Clippers, yeah. right? Like some shit where I'm like, "What the fuck is this?" Or Nick Nurse <laughs> going to like a box and one in 2019? Yeah, yeah. Like we're not talking to like that level of adjustment here. This is like, oh yeah, go five out against Rudy Gobert. It's not exactly like a fucking genius move, but it it was the right one and it worked. Yeah, yeah.
3: All right you 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 might you might have convinced. I I have to respect the fact that he has a championship and that he took the Clippers to the conference finals. Um, I, I think, I think I had him too low. I think I
2: got, I think I got to move him. Well, it's, and it's more, I'm not even like, here. so yeah, I'm not even some big Ty Lou guy. It's just, you know, who else deserves to be above him? Like, that's my biggest question more than that. Like, oh, Ty Lue is like, this is so unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So like, who did you have above him that we haven't mentioned yet? Anybody?
3: Yeah. Um, uh, well, the one guy I had above him who in light of that Utah series, you might say shouldn't be above him. Uh, it's Quinn Snyder.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'd Snyder in the next group with kind of the, uh, a kind of middle experienced group of guys. who I think are all, uh, all pretty good and have some pluses and minuses. Yeah. I think, you know, Snyder just ha- didn't have very good playoffs the last couple of years. I think the uh, emotionally, like his kind of high, strong nature wasn't what his team needed. That's he's not. I, I mean, it seems like ultimately, and even, even like uh, Spo, I like, even Spo has a little bit of this, like, you know, he's intense, but he's also like, oh, we'll be okay. Like Jimmy Butler, like, fucking screams at me. I scream at him, like, hey, you know what? Like, we'll get past it. It's fine. Like, it's just mm-hmm. heat of the moment. Like, that's that's not quite Quinn Satter. I think that they're the best coaches these days do have like a little more chill to them. <laughs>
3: chill is maybe not like he doesn't get a lot of text so so he's not like that kind of that kind of emotional but he's like he's 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 really into it and obsessive about it and in other ways um yeah,
2: it's yeah, it's, which which it's has its, which is good, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and he's not insane about it. From like a driving his guys into the ground, you know, but it's not like that level. Like Thibodeau, he'll be a yeah. fascinating guy to rank. By the way, I can't wait to hear what you, you have to say about him. But um, no, I I think I'm very interested to see where he ends up with this Hawks team. Obviously, it's not going to be fair to judge him on this season coming in. I mean, I assume they'll at least be in the play and We'll get a look at him there. Uh, but yeah, I mean he definitely in utah got that team to overperform and donovan mitchell has been basically the same guy that he was in utah rudy gobert certainly has not been so i think that's something that has to come to mind now rudy yeah. yeah
3: he built an architecture around gobert that you're seeing how tough that is to replicate
2: yeah um so so yeah i had quinn in this next group from five to eight So, so to reiterate, I've got Spo and, and Kerr one and two and in, in tier one. Bud and Lou, three and four, in tier two, and then my tier three, Snyder is one of those guys. So you, so I guess we really weren't that far off. You had Lou at five, item at four. So I think we're. Pretty uh, I close I, I, I
3: I actually had Lou uh, lower than that. Uh, I I had a ah. out of a ten, which I I don't think I don't think I can back that up. I think I was overreacting too much to the season they're having.
2: Yeah, I mean this is, you know, he started off the season with being told that he had to have. Kawhi Leonard not play at all until the six minute mark of the second quarter. (laughs) Yeah. Wasn't that
3: wacky? Yeah.
2: And and to his credit when, I mean, I think Kawhi got hurt again pretty early, but he was like, no, we're not doing this thing. Like he, he finally, he pushed back on that. And, and in a way that's worked and they've, I mean, they've been pretty good when Kawhi and PG have played. And I think also, is it his fault that all of these guys, on the team other than Kawhi and PG and Zubots were a lot better two years ago. Maybe, you know, I mean, I think there's this feeling that they've underperformed this year. And same thing you could say about the Warriors and Steve Kerr. Same thing you could say about Miami and Spo. Same thing you could say probably about Monty Williams. So that, that I think maybe has been more injury related. So yeah, I, I think uh, like th- I just kind of, this year has just been so fucked in so many ways for all these guys that I I just didn't want to count it too much. Like, uh, let's see what happens in the playoffs. I think is kind of my thought before I'm going to make any huge changes based on what's happened this year.
3: That's probably a good baseline to work from. Although with some of these guys, we don't we. The, this regular season is almost all we have to go on, but we're we're not right into right
2: that- yeah yet. No, exactly. Uh, and, and again, like, I I mean, I, I just I can't put guys who coach really well this regular season, but don't have a playoff track record above guys who've you know, been doing it for years and have had some good playoff moments. Although that's obviously, as you noted, a concern with Snyder
3: uh, would probably be a concern with my next guy, too. I, I may be yeah. overranking him. OK, Uh, Mark, Mark Dagnall. Oh, you're on the diagonal train now, eh, John? This this year has convinced me. <laughs> there's there's been so many games where I've seen their lineup and just thought they had a bag of shit, and then he's done some wacky thing or played five out with Eugene Omaruyi as the center and like completely wrong footed the other team. Like there's there's just too much. Too, there's just too much circumstantial evidence that he's um, that he has some real uh, strategic gifts.
2: This is really interesting because a certain person on this podcast had Mark Dagnall in his first year ranked in the teens and also had Mark Dagnall ranked number 16 last year mm-hmm. and now has Mark Dagnall ranked number 12 this year. So I, I did not move him up enough because they're just they're, he just hasn't had the opportunity to do enough to impress me. He's only been on this young, try-hard team emotionally that, like that everyone in yep. there is hungry like they're what they want to work like he's he hasn't had any pressure on him he hasn't been in a playoff situation like I like what he does at the end of games like that can be a good proxy but I just like I agree I think you know having there are a lot of guys that I have him above that you might say like hey like how does this guy have a better track record than them so I, I feel like I'm already to have him at 12 and giving him credit that maybe he hasn't quite earned and it's kind of like a vanity pick for me but yeah i mean you i i, I love that you're uh you're on the dig train though because I, I i thought I, I i'm glad to say that i was early on him i've been very whenever they've had any kind of talent they've always overperformed under him Yes, yeah.
3: So maybe maybe this was too ambitious of me. Maybe I maybe I should move down a
2: couple notches, maybe.
3: Some of these other guys have coached much more in playoffs than he has. But we'll we'll talk about these other guys in a minute, I think.
2: Well, well um, let's talk a little bit of just about what... And now I think the, the roster that's been built around him helps too. But how Dignall has managed to be successful. Because I do think that's an important part of this analysis. And, and I actually... Asked him about this when I was in Utah a couple of weeks ago uh, offensively, and because uh, they they don't run a ton of, like, stuff. Like, they'll try to get, you know, Josh Giddy the ball at the elbow on a sideline on a bounds and, like, let him make passes uh, and screening action. But a lot of it's random. A lot of it's off-the-dribble stuff. And uh, they set more guard screens than basically anyone in the league. And so I asked him why I did that. He said, basically, like, we want to just, we want to be hard to prepare for. We want to do something different than anyone else. And, of course, when you have Jay Gillis Alexander, that helps too. But they also, they always play with the stretch five. Even if it's a guy who yeah. sucks, they always yep. play with the stretch five.
3: And that, yeah, that five, changes a lot. five out and, and one paint attack after another. And you, he makes 24 seconds last a really long time with that system, I feel like. Because like, it's yeah. just like paint attack, you stop him, the guy drives and kicks, next guy gets it, paint attacks, and it's like and there, and there's like four or five of them. You're like, what the hell? The shot clock's still at eight? Like, we still got to guard this?
2: Yeah, they also have been really good in transition and they've been really good at taking away transition. Taking away transition is actually a big thing that I look at uh, with coaches and particularly if you can do that. And they even like get some offensive rebounds too. Like that's another thing that they do. Like they don't have like a great offensive rebounder, but they're actually at the top of the league in offensive rebounding. Which guys just they're selectively crash in and so, and then so you're good in offensive rebounding, you still get back on defense as well. And then defensively they don't make mistakes either which for a young team is incredible right yeah i'm moving him up to number one john (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i I definitely have been really really impressed uh, by him um so yeah i i I did have a number 12 uh who else do we need to talk about kind of in this five to ten range here
3: so i had some guys uh who i would call western conference guys who haven't won at all uh Taylor Jenkins, Michael Malone, Mike Brown, Monty Williams. Let's do Mike Brown. Uh, okay. And why does he
2: deserve to be this high?
3: I've I've always thought he was a pretty good coach, like going back to Cleveland. Um, now, I'm not going to overdo it and give him credit for the Sacramento Kings going through the whole year with no injuries to their top eight players. Uh, but... Just the fact of like, even if the Kings had had normal injuries this year, I think they'd probably still be like what five hundred or whatever, which would be a freaking miracle in its own yeah. right,
2: right? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, their over under was thirty two and a half coming into the season.
3: Yeah, so
2: give him, give him a lot of credit
3: for that. Uh, I, I do think there's been a couple like minor own goals there um, that don't really get talked about. Like, yeah, that, he's pretty started- terrible
2: at challenges. Like he'll he'll do some just no hope challenges that also, uh, like, waste one of his timeouts in the last minute of the game. You know, like, we, we've seen a few of those. But that's that's a, a small point overall.
3: Yeah. Uh, and the uh, the whole Casey Okpala experience. Um,
2: but. Well, they got Kessler Edwards now. They got a real upgrade. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, I, I'm not Very even important. being funny. That's actually, that's quite true.
3: Uh, he's certainly an upgrade on
2: Okpala. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> if if nothing else um in 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 all seriousness like I, I think a lot of the stuff he's done offensively to to maximize Sabonis in the DHO game and and you know get get Herder involved and really weaponize all their all their shooting uh i i think it's i think it's been really good i think i think that has been very impactful. obviously it his comparison point probably helps right like we're not doing harrison Barnes post-ups out of every timeout anymore but uh but but still I mean he made those changes and it's been massively impactful you could see they're are they still number one in offense oh they're number yeah, one no- in offense
2: by like a point now too yeah yeah no everything that he's done this year and you might say oh they're 25th in defense without like I actually would consider that to be significantly above their personnel.
0: <laughs> <It's>,
2: <laughs> like, I, I, when I r- ranked uh, the teams before the season, I thought they would be uh, one of the worst defenses in the league. Maybe the worst defense in the league. So, to get them to 25th and at least competing and respectable. Like, De'Aaron Fox has been much better this year. Like, Malik Monk tries. I mean, they don't have any other than <laughs> Davion Mitchell they don't really have any like established perimeter defenders and uh, and Sabonis is probably the worst Rim protector as a starting center in the league, Uh, he he could do a few other things defensively. But uh, you know, and Sabonis is going to play forty minutes a game. So yeah, I think. And then offensively, you might say, all right, you know, Mike Brown's a defensive coach, but no, he's he's added a lot of things from Golden State, where Ben Taylor I thought described it pretty well, where it's kind of a combination of what. The Nuggets like to do with Jokic, working with Sabonis through the elbows, and then some of the off-ball movement stuff with the uh, Herder and Monk and uh, uh, Keegan Murray. That, and then you also have like the transition attack of Deere and Fox. Like they're close to the top in transition, so you can point to a lot of specific things that he has implemented that have really helped them.
3: Yes. And he's, I mean, Um, I think he's almost certainly going to win coach of the year now, right? I mean, I guess Budenholz would be the one guy who, but I I just don't see a lot of momentum to, to give it to him. I think he's already won it, eh? And then I think people, I mean, surprise teams tend to get a lot of credit and coach of the year voting generally.
2: So I think yeah, he's probably- work. And he was a, a good defensive coach and it was good. it's good to see him back because he worked on his weaknesses in Golden State. That was a, a great marriage for both parties there. I think Golden State, frankly, probably misses him as well on the defensive end. And you know, so now he's able to, and, and we'll see, you know, again, like this could be one of those things. The reason I have him lower is I just, I, again, didn't want to overreact to this year. Let's see yeah. how he coaches it in the playoffs. You know, if they win a playoff run, I'm going to feel a lot better about it. But this also still kind of feels like a thing in Sacramento where, okay, they could just be, you know, win 39, 39 games again next year with a little worse injury luck. And then it's like, all right, he's a decent coach, but he's not anything special. So that's why I couldn't get him into this top 10 type of group. I had him. Uh, More in the mid-teens. Okay. Um, So, yeah. So, you mentioned a few other guys. Um, Taylor Jenkins, I actually had now in that five to eight range as well. And Mm -hmm. they're going through it right now. and th- this is a different kind of challenge for him. But oh, by the Absolutely. way, they're still actually winning well above their talent level. Like they're actually, what have they won three straight now since, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I just went out a little bit earlier, but you know, they've no Brandon Clark, no Steven Adams, no John Morant. They've, they're on a three game winning streak right now. They've had it, a schedule against teams that haven't been fully together, but still like they're, they always overperform. I thought in the playoffs, there wasn't. I thought it was good that he moved away from Steven Adams immediately in that Minnesota series. Like that matchup just wasn't going to work. With him against Karl yeah. Anthony Towns, and then actually going back to him against Golden State, and we missed the first couple of games due to COVID. Like I thought, that actually changed that series for the positive, and Adams was a big piece of them, like making that series interesting even after Ja went down. Uh, so I thought he actually yeah. coached a pretty decent playoffs last year. What do you think?
3: I I think so too. Yeah. Uh. I. I that cuz that, that that's that switch that you pointed out yes that was definitely big i he definitely coached a much better series than he did against utah the year before uh and so that that was a a point of growth there were just uh, circumstances kind of worked against them where, <laughs> you know, he just kind of had to had to play the guys who he had yeah. in, in some of those later games.
2: Well, and, and even just to be, uh, I mean, they gave Golden State their hardest test and they did it without John Morant for three of the games. Like, that's, that's impressive to me. Uh, so, and he's found a way of playing. Like, they've managed to navigate losing Melton. I mean, if you just look at this rotation – and who's he's, been on oh, the he's floor had to switch
3: from having an awesome bench to having a bad bench like this year. There's no question. Uh now they've gotten a couple decent games out of David Roddy these last two, but they're also playing against Dallas's uh backups. So we'll see how that translates to these upcoming games. But they've gotten nothing from Zaire Williams. Uh the rookies haven't really given him much. Kennard hasn't, Kennard hasn't really gotten going since the trade either. So it's it's a very different environment he's operating in where he's now really scrambling when he gets to those second units.
2: Yeah. I feel pretty comfortable and, And he's only been there since, what, 1920? Yeah, I feel comfortable. He's only had one job, but I feel pretty comfortable that he would be able to get most teams to overachieve. And despite the fact that there's been a little bit of negative press lately, it does seem like this team overall has been pretty together. Uh, Now, if I were ranking him on the quality of his press conferences, he would be 30th. I was
3: was going to say... If you if you were ranking coaches on their ability to give to give a fifty word run on sentence in one breath, he would definitely be number one.
2: While mumbling, yes. <laughs> well, and, and so, some of his whenever there's anything controversial comes up, it's almost must see. Like the whole, yeah, uh, uh, the the. Uh, the Jordan Pool, like he might have caused John Morant's injury thing last year, which was so ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> hey, no, just, I, I just think, doing
3: just doing yeah. his own research and asking questions. Yeah. Caesar's Sportsbook
1: is the only sportsbook app with Caesar's Rewards.
2: What do you think of Nick Nurse at this point? When we did this two years ago, I think we both had him number one. Even last year, I had him number three in the top tier. And up until the moment of the playoffs last year, it seemed like there was no reason to doubt him. And then it's really since then, it's been pretty bad, honestly.
3: Yeah, I so I put him 12th and... It was just hard for me, yeah, because of the contrast. When you see what's happened with Toronto offensively and then kind of defensively where they're, the pressure and trapping is still – there's like this unsoundness to it where it still gets beat. Um and the the heavy minutes toll on all the guys which i think is really risky he hasn't been, really been able to develop a bench i don't know if, there, if there's been a bench there to develop but you you still feel like maybe there were ways to get more out of what he had there than than he has
2: uh so it's been it's been disappointing yeah I, with the talent that they have i just think that their defensive performance hasn't been good enough offensively i get it they got problems i think uh, pascal siakam he can create shots but he's not someone who really draws the defense or scores that efficiency as a lead guy and fred van Vliet is you know for a number two is probably a little bit underqualified there even though he's a really good player and then they have no shooting and so uh, i give him a pass for the offense i think going offensive rebounding transition uh, now, they, they it is interesting that they're going to do this unprecedented double, probably, where they're going to be number one in avoiding turnovers and number one in turnovers forced. But like I said, I think that just comes at a cost. And he, I think the argument back would be, well, hey, we can't score in the half court. We have to force turnovers. We have to get out and transition. But I would just really like to see if they just generally got more stops. It doesn't need to be a steal every time. It could just be a stop. And just like they... They really look like they have communication problems all the time and they just aren't really able to maintain any kind of a defensive shell. And particularly, I didn't think like now that they have Jakob Perto, it kind of makes a little bit more sense to play the way he wants to play and because you have a rim protector, but they had no rim protection before they got him and they still were playing this like super pressure style. So I, I just and and ultimately they just it's not only that they're playing the super pressure style, which I didn't think was a great fit, but then they weren't really executing like they just had. Like there's a uh possession which I, you don't want to overstate one possession. But I thought it's typical of where they were this season, where they come out in a box in one, and every, everyone doesn't know where they're standing, and they just give up a wide open corner three to the Clippers, like one pass wide open corner three, like because nobody was standing in the left corner. I know exactly it's, the play like, you're they're, talking they're, about
3: because I was watching that game. Yes, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like and and there's, where, there's where, just where too we many here? mistakes like that now and yeah. that
3: was like the fourth quarter of a big game,
2: you know? Yeah, and there there have been grumblings about how things are have been uh haven't been great this year, talked that he might even move on uh, at the end of this. He's got one year left on his contract. So that's that's another thing where you just and so we're not sure exactly. Now like this is he's had this veteran team before. Now he's got guys who have some agendas and are looking for contracts and you know maybe it's starting to implode yeah. a little bit.
3: Yeah, uh, player development was another thing that seemed like a real positive at the start of his regime, which is kind of going off the rails a little bit.
2: Yeah, and and also they were really good at that before he got there. So that generally you give credit to the head coach there because he's creating that system but yeah i mean i think their development record before him almost was better although siakam did take the step forward to be uh an all-star under him so and og took a big step forward so he definitely deserves some credit there but yeah they have stagnated you know they like chris boucher wasn't an nba player before they got him achua has taken some steps forward so i don't think they've been bad necessarily like scotty barnes is just the one you'd point to hasn't been able to improve very yeah. much so far
3: yeah, he'd, he'd probably be the one that stands out. Uh, Flynn, I don't know how much they had to work with, but he definitely hasn't made any progress.
2: No. Well, yeah, I think Nurse is just very focused on not having any defensive liabilities out there, at least uh, not having guys who don't have size. Um, so ultimately, I went with Nurse still in that five to eight range in deference to what I thought of him before. Again, I didn't want to overreact to what we've seen, mm-hmm. but you know, if, the, if they don't making more progress and then maybe even moves on after this year you know you have to start to consider whether his those great days for him were a flash in the pan
3: right right okay okay let's let's talk about monty williams
2: yeah oh sorry sorry, sorry. go ahead sure Uh, who are you gonna say
3: michael malone my number eight
2: yeah all right, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, Malone and Monty Williams. I, I can finish out part one here. Okay. Yeah, Michael Malone, I had him in a group from 9 to 11 of just, like, veteran, solid guys. Uh, Doc Rivers is another one. We'll probably have to save him for next time. Uh, but I had okay. Rivers, Carlisle, and Malone as sort of birds of a feather in that 9 to 11 range. And, yeah, I mean, what would you say about Malone at, at this point? I mean, they do – is he – just a, a is he riding the coattails of Jokic? Is that would that be a fair criticism of him? Just like, what do you think overall of him? I think the Nuggets do a really good job in player development and have the
3: whole time he's been there. And I mean, Jokic has been a part of that, but they've also brought along a lot of younger players in that time, such as Vlatko Chancer, of course, um, yeah. but also. Uh, if you look at some of the other development stories, there, the Monte Morris isn't there anymore. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, even even Murray Jamal Murray and, and Porter and they've had. I'm blanking because they've had a couple guys who are no longer there because they traded them, but who who have been a big big part of that player development story. He's figured out how to incorporate some weird players, like with Bruce Brown this year, right? Um, the the non Jokic minutes remain troublesome so that's that's probably the one thing you would
2: say uh, yeah and a lot of all bench groups although he too they have tried staggering murray with those guys too and it hasn't worked i, I would like to see them go with the what Derek Bodner calls in philly the kitchen sink unit where they just put in everybody except Jokic on the bench but I think there's also you, you never know in these circumstances obviously it's an easy thing to say stagger 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 but they are so ridiculous when Jokic is on the floor that yeah the bench is a negative most nights and most nights they win right like and yeah. so would you be muting the impact of Jokic I would tend to say no I think he could prop up basically anybody and then you could put all these other guys in and play spread pick and roll you know but you probably would keep him and Gordon together Jokic and Gordon together but then you throw everyone out else in on the second unit and you know just play spread pick and roll you have like more of a theory there but uh again you don't know for sure that not that staggering would improve things but i do think they should try it more whole hog than they have
3: uh i i think he's shown better his last couple playoffs i think his first couple playoff series did not go particularly well um and then kind of in the the bubble was like the turning point right where they got absolutely torn apart by Utah those first four games and then they kind
2: of Utah didn't have Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich at the start of that series too by the way that yeah that was to go down 3-1 uh they didn't have Gary Harris but still it was
3: yeah they they were like getting embarrassed and then they came back won that and then came back and beat the Clippers in the next series which was which was the real shocker uh you know last year against Golden State I, I missing Murray and Porter I don't think they had much of a chance uh Jokic was also uh, I think now the challenge for them this year, it's a different challenge for Malone, which will probably affect where he falls on this list, right? Because he he's the number one seed in the Western Conference now. I don't know if people are going to call him the favorite with Durant being in Phoenix and the Warriors being the Warriors and whatnot, but he's the number one seed. He's got his top three guys healthy now, right? And they've been able to manage Jokic through the year more so where he's not out of gas by April. Or he shouldn't be anyway. So everything's lined up for them to make a deep run now. But the expectation is definitely for a deep run. Like you don't get surprise points anymore.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think there's two ways to look at some of these playoff series. Generally, his team seem to improve their performance as the playoff series goes along. But also, I think that a lot of times they don't really start very well either. And, you know, particularly those first two games of the Warriors series last year. And let's not forget that Steph Curry was like barely playing. I shouldn't say barely playing, but he's coming off the bench and playing, you know, 30 minutes a game in those, the beginning of that series. And they just got completely embarrassed in mm-hmm. those first two games. So, like, there have been a lot of times when his team hasn't really been ready. To play at the start of a series. Now, again, they shouldn't have won that series. Like they're, uh, they're missing a bunch of guys. I, I would say, I mean, the other thing he probably needs to get more credit for is it's just, he allowed a number forty-one overall pick who didn't even come over his first year to become one of the greatest offensive players in history. Like he put the ball in his hands. They had Jamal Murray, who was drafted number seven, and he said, No, we're we're gonna run this through Nikola Jokic. We're gonna give this guy the ball all the time. Like that's not that wasn't fate accomplished that, that was gonna happen. You look at Jokic's talent now and how he's developed, and you think like, Oh, he was just, like, No, he Nikola Jokic was not undeniable like he could have been like no this guy's not good enough defensively like we're just gonna play him off the bench as a a scoring center or something like that there there, and he he also I think has really gotten Jokic to improve on his weaknesses to be more aggressive offensively I think as limited as Jokic is on defense Malone gets as much out of him as you possibly could hope Mm -hmm. so uh, as a regular season coach I don't have too many concerns uh, and if they win the NBA championship this year, like he'll, I think, will be undeniable of really having him, like, really in that top group. Uh, but uh, again, like one conference finals appearance and. He also just doesn't quite have the same philosophies that I would have personally. That's going to jump in on the rankings. I think objectively, you have to have him at a certain point, but you know they're not out here bombing threes like the the way he manages the bench isn't the way I do it. You know, but he's he's a good emotional leader for them, and you know I'd probably try to get more out of Michael Porter Jr. if I could and stuff like that. But uh, he he's still the record has been very good the last few years.
3: Year eight. It's it's tough to hold it together on, a, on an NBA sideline for eight years.
2: Yeah. Well, having Nikola Jokic definitely, definitely helps definitely you there. Helps. Um, So let's finish with Monty here. And mm-hmm. he was my number two in the top tier last year. I think you felt the same about him. And what's happened since then to where are we going to have him lower?
3: i I wasn't sure where to put him I moved him down I felt like the the Crowder thing was a self-inflicted wound
2: um and getting a little sideways with eight and two which well so so ended. why is that what, let me ask you this based on what's been reported why is it a self-inflicted wound on Crowder
3: well they took a zero for a ten million dollar spot on the roster right I mean
2: well so every, they, they, here's they, what's they, been reported they, so far yeah Mm-hmm. It is Monty Williams called him in the off and said, "Hey, like we're we're not going to start you this year. We're going to start Cam Johnson." Which I think, like, that's the type of communication I think most players say that they would want, right? Yes. Like, it, I don't know my role. Like, uh, no, alright we're going to yeah. tell you your role. It's uh, yeah. And Jay Crowder, you know, wanted is in a contract year and you know, they weren't offering him an extension. And now Monty to say like his philosophy is kind of like, all right, if you're not in, then we're just gonna like then don't show up. And so maybe that was just too draconian and they should have tried to work it out harder. But you know, that seems like more of a Jay Crotter problem than a Monty Williams problem to me. Is that is that unfair?
3: I would agree. I would agree with that. I, I definitely agree with that part. Um but I, I just also wonder, I mean, we weren't there for the phone call. I, I just wonder if if you've been around the player and you know the player and you kind of maybe have to read the tea leaves a little better of how you present it or what you say in order that your message is accepted. I mean, that's a lot of what coaching is at the end of the day.
2: And so, so I just wonder about that part. Yeah. Uh, or, hey, you know what? Maybe he should have brought him into camp and actually had a competition for who is going to be the starting power forward. That's mean, true should, too. they should have done that too but yeah i, I mean I, I agree that he is probably at least somewhat culpable there like th- the result was yeah they just had one of their top six players didn't play for them all year and had to be traded for nothing if they still if if they hadn't fucked that up they jay crowder would be starting for them right now he would be so valuable for them right now so i i, I tend to agree with you but i also think there's Maybe uh, that's too hard on him to blame him for that exclusively. Um, Uh, How much do you pin last year's Dallas series on him? I mean, you have to a little bit, I think, to just to have to be down 40 in the third quarter and Devin Booker and Chris Paul have combined for like four points. And you got to find a way to get those guys going better than that. And that Dallas team did not have like unbelievable defensive personnel. Like, yes, they were very solid, but they really blitzed Booker a lot, took it out of his hands. They weren't able to respond. And if you look at what Golden State did to that Dallas defense the next round, and even what the Suns were able to do to them early in the round, like, I, I think there's yeah. a little, like, they have the, yeah, yeah go ahead.
3: I also thought they could have maybe gone more kitchen sink at Luca. I don't know how you yeah, I contrast think, uh, what yeah. Golden State did against him versus what versus what uh, versus what Phoenix did against him.
2: Yeah, that's a fair point, right? Just more uh, more doubling uh, or or just not switching as well, right? They just like when Luca would, they just switch Chris Paul onto him, like zero resistance, right? And that that really wore yeah. Chris down, and uh, Luca abused him, and so now, I mean, it's also a problem that they only had really one guy that they trusted to guard Luca on the whole team. Like, I, I think. <laughs> Overall, Monty Williams has, like, this is not, other than Mikhail Bridges, like, they don't have, like, good, and, and Crowder's, like, okay, but they don't have good defenders on this team. Like, uh, DeAndre Ayton is not really good defensively. Like, he can guard in the post, but he's not a great pick-and-roll defender, not a great rim protector. So, I, I think he's gotten them to punch above their weight, particularly in the regular season defensively these last few years.
3: Yeah, that could, that's a fair point. We may just be holding his regular season success against him.
2: Yeah, and I think even this year when they've had, when Devin Booker has been available, they've been good.
3: Yeah, and this is another one where he'll be tested, right? Because he has Durant now. And he's now one area where he legitimately has done a good job is making a functional back end of the roster, even with kind of these spare parts. Yep. And he's
2: done it a few years in a row. Um, One thing I'm very interested to see is uh, the result of is, is Mikael Bridges just going to like be an all NBA player the moment he got to Brooklyn? Because if so... (laughs) You would think that, like, yes, he maybe they particularly for a team that didn't have other ball handling options. And yeah, you know, when Booker was out, they gave him the ball a little bit more. But like, why is Mikhail Bridges all of a sudden unbelievably awesome in Brooklyn and a Phoenix team that desperately could have used his skill set in the playoffs last year? And for with Chris Paul and Devin Booker out this year, couldn't get that out of him. Why is that?
3: Yeah, I scratched my head on that a little because I I mean, you saw flashes of it like you said in the games where uh where Booker didn't play, especially. Actually, f- funny funny stat. He scored at least 21 points in each of his last 6 games as a Phoenix Sun. Uh so he was this is something that was like maybe this was already bubbling up a little bit. Uh but when I yeah. when when I saw Phoenix uh at the uh in, in January and they were playing shorthanded it was the same thing where they were putting the ball in his hands more and you could definitely see these these flashes uh even though the you know they didn't quite have the town around him and he at the same time, it still wasn't quite what he's done. He wasn't having forty-point games, right? <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't quite like we've seen in Brooklyn. Still, so I, I just yeah, wonder but- if this was something that was like starting to bubble up, and it was just right place, right time that magnified it. But if it, like because if you go through his splits a little, like even from even in the Phoenix time from November to January, you could see him ramping up a little bit.
2: Yeah. On the other hand, he had fifteen percent usage last year, and you would think that like this didn't come out literally out of nowhere. Like there's had to have been something more there than they could have gotten potentially. I don't know. Uh, also, the other concern I have is just them not shooting enough threes. That's I, I agree and with yeah, that. you got Chris Paul, you got Devin Booker. Like they've been a very good offense. But I think particularly in the Dallas series that that really caught up to them because they couldn't deal with the double teaming and like really make it make them pay. Like Chris Paul was just like wouldn't shoot a spot up. You know, that's again, that's something that they probably he should have been able to get that out of Chris Paul. Uh, and Chris is shooting him more now this year. But it, for him to just be like, no, I'm not taking spot up three corners. Like, no, we need you to take those Chris like they're doubling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah so uh, so I still I, again I didn't uh, yeah, good Monty
3: has also had the additional pressure I would say of kind of having to be the figurehead of the franchise through some really ugly shit Yeah uh, And he's done well there navig- navigated that really well uh so Got to get some bonus points for that. So, yeah, uh, overall, you know, I had him 10th. Maybe I should have him 9th. Uh, I, I think he's he's roughly in the right area here.
2: Yeah, I had him in that 5-8 to eight range just because I, I didn't want to downgrade him too much compared to last year. And, you know, we'll see again what happens this year. Like, I mean, he he very easily, if they disappoint, might not be the coach there next year. Like, that's even a possibility, I
3: Well, with, with new ownership, yeah, you have to wonder.
2: Yeah, Tom Izzo, Phoenix pressure. Suns. <laughs> all right well that's a, a good way to wrap this here uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, you can join us exclusively on dunked on prime next week for part two of these rankings which always actually i think is more interesting when we get to the bottom but there, there are a lot of guys i'm very curious <laughs> to hear your opinion on uh, since it's been a year and uh thanks so much for everyone who is a subscriber we'll talk to y'all soon
1: Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to listen to the full coaching rankings and get a lot more than that, too, you can subscribe to Dunkdon Prime at DunkDon.SupportingCast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards.